Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Now, Uncommon Sense with Leland Conway on 630 KHOW, Denver's talk station. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Sources are reporting that uh, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia is telling colleagues that he's considering leaving the Democrat Party to become an independent. Absolutely the best move for him. I don't think he and I'm not, you know, look, I'm just analyzing this. I mean, Joe Manchin and I do not see eye to eye on a lot of things politically because I lean way more libertarian than anything else. But as a registered independent myself, I would welcome anyone who wants to leave political parties behind and go their own way. And it's clear that – I'll just say this. And, Ryan, I don't know how your feelings on on this, but, again, I don't have to agree with someone to like them. True. I don't have to agree with someone to respect them. Um, I respect Joe Manchin. I respect him because he is absolutely unafraid of the more fringe elements of his own party. I mean, he does not it's he you know who he's afraid of? And this is exactly how it should be with members of Congress. Absolutely. He's afraid of his own constituents, 100%. the people who elect him. And that is how Congress is supposed to work. So it would it would it would be interesting because how would that we already have one independent would that make it a 50-50 actually or am two, I off if you uh, consider Bernie Sanders and then also Angus King from Maine the, the Angus was the other one I was talking yeah. about but Angus King is the one that sometimes will will play around with the Republicans yeah, Bernie they, probably they both won't. pretty hardcore caucus with the Democrats though no. but in terms of how things are dibbied up and leadership that could change things. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that story for sure. Congressman Doug Lambord joins us now, uh, Colorado's fifth district uh, representative in uh, the U.S. Congress. He's on the line with us. Good morning, Cong- or good afternoon. Hell, what that? What time of day is it, Congressman Lamborn? Do you know? I don't know. It's two hours later than Mountain Time. <laughs> okay. All right. There you go. Well, gosh, it's almost dinner time for you in D.C. Hey, by the way, uh, Leland, yep. I talked to someone today who knows you, uh, Thomas Massey, a great oh, that guy from tennis, uh, from Kentucky, said to say <laughs> hi to you. Yeah, he that used guy. To live in, in, in his district in uh, in Western Kentucky. Yep, actually, I did. Um, and uh, actually, it was a funny story. I was actually talking to him on the phone this morning, and um, I moved to the specific county that I lived in in Kentucky in order to be in his district because I didn't want to be in John Yarmouth's district. <laughs> So, and I, I can imagine you could probably imagine why I, I love freedom too much. So, uh, well, listen, welcome. It's good to have you on. Yeah, yeah, it's great to be on your show. Um, I wanted to really start with this letter that you've sent. You've actually sent a couple of letters. One, uh, you're you are you are pretty a- a- angry, as I think a lot of people are in America, with Attorney General Merrick Garland over basically labeling parents who are angry about losing control over their kids' education as domestic terrorists, and you've actually called upon the DOJ. You, you sent a letter to the Office of Inspector General for the Attorney General. Uh, that's a lot of generals. Anyway, you've called on them to investigate 
a potential conflict of interest between the attorney general and I think his daughter's husband works for a company called Panorama Education, which develops uh, critical race theory curriculum. And you've called on an, them for an investigation into an attorney general labeling American citizens as domestic terrorists for standing up for their children's rights. Well, absolutely. Uh, Leland, you uh, stated very correctly, uh, this attorney general, and, and it's amazing that some people said he would have been a moderate had he ever been appointed to the Supreme Court. He is a radical. Uh, he is pushing really far-left progressive types of issues that are not anywhere near the center of, of our country. Uh, like you said, he has called PTA moms who want to object or even ask questions about what their kids are learning at, at school domestic terrorists because they, they raise their voices or something like that. So uh, we, uh, this is just not good. And there is a potential conflict of interest, Leland, in that his son-in-law is running a company that sells and develops materials along a liberal line for school boards and school districts around the country. It pushes uh, this critical race theory and things like that. Uh, I think it, it spreads questionable doubts as far as divisiveness between different parts of society when we should be uniting and healing and working together, not creating more divisions and more questions and more doubts and animosity and hostility. Uh, I just think that some of these trends uh, should be rejected by school boards, and certainly parents should have the right to go in and question school board school boards on what is being taught and to go in and run for school districts. You know, there are people all over Colorado that are up for election here in about three weeks uh, to, or less that are, and in fact, two weeks from today, uh, that, that are wanting to change some of these troubling trends, and I applaud that. Would you agree that maybe... The school board meetings or the school board elections across the country might be the most important elections in a long time, because if you really study how leftism and I mean hard leftism, I'm not talking about Democrats versus Republicans. There's a lot of Democrats I respect. There's a lot of people who want a bigger government than I want that I can still respect. I can still call friends. I can still have a beer with. But this extreme leftism, the way that they have sort of infiltrated our bureaucracies, our institutions, our schools, et cetera, has been a long game. And I think that makes these types of elections that much more important because I think a lot of people, Congressman Lamborn, really look at those top-line election issues and those top-line election candidates. And maybe for the first time, and maybe this is why they're so afraid of it, people are actually getting involved at the local level. And there's not anything much more local than your school board. Absolutely. I think that level of government governs best when it's closest to the people. Uh, it's so hard to come to D.C. And, and change the national policies. As a member of Congress, it's hard to, it's hard to change things. I'm actually inside the U.S. House. But think of how difficult that is for, for a citizen to pick up and go and have hearings and, and try to change things. It's easier at the state level. You can go to Denver. You can testify at a hearing. But it's easier and best at your county, city, and school board district level. And, and that's the way it should be. Uh, and it's great that parents are getting involved. Uh, it's sad that it's taking this kind of controversy to wake up a lot of folks out there, but it's good that they're getting involved. It's good that they're seeing that, hey, I'm, I want to protect what my children are learning 
at school. I want to make sure they get the best education. I don't want them to waste time on needless stuff, number one, or even be somehow detrimentally affected by negative stuff, number two. I want to know what's going on. And that is something we should cherish and we should promote. And we should not have an attorney general who calls parents domestic terrorists just because they're uh, concerned and and maybe passionate about their concerns. Let me, and we're talking with Congressman Doug Lamborn, uh, Colorado's 5th District. Um, let Let me play the role of the other side for just a second. Um, there are those who say, and, and it seems to be kind of, I guess, what Fauci's done. They've redefined gain-of-function research, right? Um, we're redefining critical race theory as something else and then saying we're not teaching it. But there are those that would argue, why are you afraid of teaching the real history of the United States, flaws and all? Well, I would answer that, that yes, we should have good history where we talk about the uh, good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, mm-hmm. all the things in our country's history, uh, some are flawed, you know, warts and all, I guess you yeah. Could. Yeah. Uh, There was Jim Crow laws. Uh, there was lynching. There, were, uh, there was slavery that we had to fight a civil war about. But, you know, on the other hand, we overcame so much of that. We uh, destroyed slavery as an institution by winning the civil war, by the, the Union winning the civil war. We... Right have had civil rights, especially in the last 50 years, that have overturned and and done away with Jim Crow laws for the most part. Now, you know, what's in people's hearts, uh, you know, is hard for government to change. I almost think that we should have religious revival. We should have cultural and family uh, institutions teaching us to love and respect one another. Uh, That's really where they excel. Yeah. But, uh, so, so certainly, let, let's air everything, but let's don't forget all the good things of our country. And if we only dwell on the negative and on the bad, that's going to set people against each other, and it's not going to be positive or constructive. Well, in my understanding of critical race theory from what I've read about that and what I've seen um, in action is that it's a lot more than just teaching the warts. Um, you know, I, I, I don't remember growing up learning only the good things about my country um you know my my schooling on that issue was very fair-handed and it actually provoked a lot of interest in me to explore some of those sins of our nation not because it makes me hate our nation but rather because i'm interested in human history and i'm interested in how humans interact and um, so, so being honest about our history sparked more curiosity about how others see the world in me and I imagine in other kids. But at the same time, I was taught that ultimately the opportunity that we're given here in America is better than any other country in the world. And it allows us to help ourselves. You know, we, we can sort of con- continue to move towards that more perfect union. Um, are you going to participate in the general where uh, Attorney General Garland is going to be answering to Congress for this? Well, I'm not a member of the Judiciary Committee, although I'm going to be watching very closely. And my staff and I have been giving some questions to the folks on the committee to make sure that those questions get asked. And specifically, uh, Mr. Garland needs to talk about his uh, son-in-law's contracts where he gets millions of dollars, I guess $12 million to date, to teach some of these uh, social theories to school boards, willing school boards around the country, like Fairfax County in Virginia uh, and others around the country. And 
if he has to enforce, and if, if he's cracking down on people that are protesting these very programs, or at least raising questions about them, what kind of push position does that put him in? Um, back to the playing the other side of the fence a little bit. Um, obviously, there have been some people in some of these meetings that have made absolute boobs of themselves. Um, that sometimes has risen to the level of crimes. Uh, threats against these school board members, something that I don't condone and I, don't, I doubt you do as well. But where is that line there where the DOJ would actually or the, the attorney general would actually have authority to step in here? You know, that, that's really a good question. And I, it seems heavy handed to me for the federal government to come in and enforce the law on what's a disturbance of the peace potentially in a school board meeting at the local level. I right. mean, I would, see, I would see maybe your uh, city police or your sheriff or... Uh, right. or a school board uh, uh, employee being the ones who enforce, you know, peace and order in, in, a, in that kind of setting. Uh, the federal government, it seems to me like uh, Biden's people, Joe, Joe Biden's people are pandering to the hard left. Right. That they're wanting to uh, reassure the hard left that they're doing everything they can to push back against any potential conservative, uh, outpouring of feelings or or thoughts, and of course, you know this is an election time in Virginia, uh, in, in on November second, and a couple other states. And yeah. uh, I, I think that they're afraid of losing what's becoming a blue state, maybe losing and having a Republican come in and, and win that race, or the, yeah. the uh, state house becoming Republican. And well, you, you have for partly political purposes. You have the vice president and the uh, press secretary at the White House both committing violations of the Hatch Act. I mean, uh, essentially using government property to uh, endorse a particular candidate in a local race. Um, you know, there was uh, churches all across the state of Virginia that aired a message directly from the vice president saying, vote for Terry McAuliffe. I lived in Richmond, Virginia for a couple of years uh, at the time when the state was going from purple to blue. Um, but I, I have a feeling that Terry McAuliffe is going to lose that race. It would be interesting to see what the outcome of that is. Before I let you go, and we're talking with Congressman Doug Lamborn. If you were going to be in that meeting tomorrow, if you were on that committee and you could ask oh, those questions, I, obviously the question about the conflict of interest, what would be the second question that you would a ask Attorney General Garland? <laughs> I would ask him, do you agree with Terry McAuliffe when he says that parents don't have a right to, for, to tell their schools what's taught to their children? Right. Does he agree with that or not? Yeah, that was just stunning to me. Um, it's it's a complete forget forgetting of who actually owns the schools, and it's the parents and the community members that pay the taxes. It's stunning to me that a politician would have that level of disconnection with where where their their feed comes from, so to speak, to think that parents don't have one hundred percent say in what should be happening in their schools. Exactly, exactly. You nailed it right on the head. Yeah. Congressman Lamborn, hope we'll talk to you again soon. We appreciate your time today and appreciate you holding feet to the fire here. Excellent. Good to talk with you, Leland. All right. Have a great day. Congressman Doug Lamborn, Colorado's 5th District. Um, good questions all. I also want to ask, if I if it were me, uh, I would ask the Attorney General, um, what transpired in the two or three days between the President of the United States getting a letter from an organization that represents teachers 
and complaining about this and the attorney general making the snap decision to essentially determine that parents who are upset are domestic terrorists. Was there ever any uh, attempt to reach out to, say, Loudoun County, Virginia, where the epicenter of this is, uh, where you had a student that was allegedly raped um, and you had a school board that appeared to be trying to cover that process up. And then that father became the lightning rod for the example that these parents are attacking people and all that kind of stuff because it got unruly when the school board didn't want to hear what he had to say. Um, and, and so what transpired? Did the attorney general ever try to reach out to that father or to that school board or to those, those, those parents in that school district to find out what was actually happening before he went straight to federal deems you a domestic terrorist and interfering with what should be local law? So uh, what do I have here, Ryan? Two and a half minutes. I think I can tell the rest of my story when I ran out do of it, gas today. It. Okay, so I ran out of gas right at the red light across the street from – the gas station. This is very embarrassing because, you know, guys are not supposed to run out of gas. We're supposed to know how much gas we have in our car. So I ran out. While I'm sitting there, I, I want to tell you, I'm sitting at the turn lane. I got my caution lights on. First, this lady, very nice lady, pulls up behind me. First guy beeped at me until he realized that I was broken down, basically. And then he waved at me and went on around. I'm thinking these people are going to be pissed because I'm sitting here in the middle of traffic and I'm slowing everybody down. And um, I'm kind of in and out of the car trying to call the tow company. And this lady pulls up. She goes, sir, are you okay? She gets out of her car. She gets out of a car, comes over to me. Are you okay? And I'm like, ma'am, I'm fine. I'm just embarrassed. I ran out of gas. I can't believe it. She kind of giggled a little bit. She's like, all right, as long as you're okay, uh, I got to roll on. She gets in her car and goes away. This work truck pulls up next to me. And the guy goes, hey, are you all right, man? And I roll my window down. I'm like, yeah, dude, I just am totally embarrassed. I ran out of gas. I'm literally across the street from the gas station. I ran out of gas. And he starts to go, oh, it happened to me. And then he goes, wait a minute. He stops his truck, puts his caution lights on, blocks the other lane, gets out of his truck, runs around to the back, gets up on the flatbed, pulls out a funnel and gas, gives me gas, which got me across the street. <clears throat> I said, you want some money for that? He goes, no, man. I just want the karma. So there's a... <laughs> There's a homeless guy at that intersection, so I had 10 bucks in my wallet. I said, you know what? Here's the karma getting passed on. I gave the 10 bucks to the homeless guy, got in my car, and went and got gas. There is faith in humanity. Away from all this other stuff, we're not at each other's throats. 630K out, Denver's talk station. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. You've ever run out of gas on the side of the road or not? But for me in that situation, uh, it wasn't even on the side of the road. That was, I think, the problem. <laughs> the problem was it wasn't even on the side of the road. It was uh, in the middle of a turning lane. So I ran out of gas. It was very embarrassing. Uh, as a dude, I should know how much gas I have in my car. I underestimated it. <sighs> and then found myself in this situation. But I thought it was interesting that when I thought that people were going to get mad at me in traffic because there is a lot of road rage out there right now. Uh, I thought, you know, people are going to get upset with me and it's going to be bad. And in reality, at least two people stopped to help me. One that didn't have any way to help me. And the other one was just a guy that was a work truck and was like, 
I asked him, I was like, can I, can I give you, he had, he had a tank of gas in his, in, in the back of his truck and he had a funnel and he's like, here, put this in there. And I just poured just enough to be able to get me across the street to the gas station. And, uh, I said, dude, can I give you some money for this? He's like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm just in it for the karma. And, uh, I was like, all right, well, I'll pass it on. And then there was like this panhandler, which I, I rarely give money to panhandlers. I just don't, um, Mainly because it's not that I don't want to give to people, actually. It's because I don't know what they're going to do with it, and I don't want to enable um, issues and problems that they could be having. So I just typically don't. But in this case, I kind of felt almost obligated to because I'm like, look, this guy stopped to help me without any judgment. I'm not going to judge this guy. I'm just going to give him the money. So I gave him like 10 bucks, and he walked off. I said, here, go get yourself some lunch. But the point is... When we go on Twitter, what do we see? Just everybody yelling at each other, right? We're all at each other's throat. We're so mad. If you're not on red team, I don't like you. I hate you if you're not on blue team. When the reality of America is a lot more nuanced than that, and we are not at each other's throats the way the mainstream media wants you to believe that we are at each other's throats. All right, do we got my buddy Paul here? Awesome. Paul Siegert, healthcare expert, joining us now on the line, PCS Advisors. How are you, sir? Doing great. How are you, Leland? I'm good. I'm very concerned about this story that healthcare um, or uh, pro- not providers, but I guess insurance companies are not paying for COVID treatment. Can you give me the the lowdown on this? What's the background here? What's going on with this? And how are they able to do this when I sign up for healthcare, you know, through my employer or wherever, and that's the contract is if I get sick, you guys will cover me uh, after my deductible. How is this happening? Yeah, what we have going on is a situation where, and it's it's a really interesting story, yet another one that highlights the soulless nature of this industry. But we had, during the pandemic, insurers were looking down the barrel of the federal government coming in and saying, you have to cover the full cost of hospitalizations, as an example, for COVID, and there will be no out-of-pocket cost for consumers. And so when they saw that that was coming, in combination with the fact that they had, they have these medical loss ratio rules that are part of the Affordable Care Act where they have to spend 85 cents for every dollar they get in premium on a claim and give, or give money back, and everybody was locked up at home and couldn't go to the doctor, they, they had money piling up on them that they were going to have to give back anyway. So they had those two kind of factors there, and so they said, hey, let's, let's, do, let's go out and say we're going to waive people's out-of-pocket costs for COVID, which right. they did. So at, at the peak of that, probably 88% of insur- insurers were waiving that cost. For which is a generous now. thing. So what you're saying then is yeah. if early on in the pandemic, if I got COVID, I wouldn't have even had to pay the copay. That's right. Okay. Your max That's very generous. Your deductible. Yep. So, and it was smart, smart move on their part because they had money that they were going to have to refund in any case. So then... What happened next is, or and I think part of their calculus was, if they did that voluntarily, they could also decide when to stop doing it. And they are, by and large, making that decision, or already have, because claims have returned to a normal level. They're not dealing with an excess of cash. So they're saying, hey, we're not going to indemnify you from your out-of-pocket costs anymore. Those are going to be on you. So they're still paying... They're beyond paying for the stuff beyond your – yeah, so they're doing what they're supposed to do and what we agreed to do. They just stopped doing the charity thing. 
You got it. Right. Yep. Um, got it. Here's the weird thing about this is like um, how do because because I, I want to kind of segue this in because that to, to me like the headline was a lot worse than the actual story there you're like okay well that was very generous of them to do that for a while and like you said it's kind of waning now in the sense that so many people have had COVID or gotten the shot that it's yeah. not as yeah. much of a pressing issue so you know good on them for doing that for a little while but I guess the other side of this is that. Uh, that I'm really concerned about is is the direction we're going with employers um, following, you know, Biden's orders, basically saying we're going to we're going to jettison these people. And so you have and, and I posted this on Twitter yesterday, Paul, and we're talking with Paul Siegert, um, healthcare expert. Um, I posted, I said, hey, look, I'll make you a deal. OK, for all of you nanny staters, um, you know, people that want to force other people to do things. I'll make you a deal. Let's make the big pharma companies liable for any negative effects of the vaccine, and then we can do a vaccine mandate. But until then, I shouldn't have to be because now we're you know there was a, a federal um, the federal government basically sent out a thing to federal departments saying hey get ready there's going to be some adverse effect payouts here here's how you handle it I don't know if you saw that story or not um, and it's not again not saying that there's a huge number of adverse effects but just that there's going to be some and there's a court set up in the government and the government's supposed to pay out in those cases when there is an adverse effect and so on and so forth. But as long as there is any risk at all to an individual, I feel like that there should not be the possibility of a mandate. That's a really interesting perspective, and it's getting no airtime at all. And there is plenty of evidence to say there are adverse reactions. One in 60,000 people have a very serious one, according to VAERS. Uh, so it, it does happen. Mm-hmm. And certain age groups and certain you know types of people have more reactions than others. And it's it, another part of this story that's really interesting to me, I don't know if you saw Oxner Health in Louisiana. They have gone so far as to say not only are we doing a mandate, we are going to fine you if your spouse is unvaccinated. How is that, so how is that legal? Say, <laughs> well, because they're saying it's not a mandate. I'm sure it'll, you know, there's going to be some, some wrangling, legal wrangling around this. But there, you have an extra $100 payroll deduction if your spouse is unvaccinated. And That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, what an overreach. I've never. This, you know this, who's going to make really good money and have a really great Christmas? Level. You know who's going to make really good money and have a really great Christmas this year and next year? Lawyers. Oh, yeah. They always win. <laughs> they always win. <laughs> they're, they're going to make a lot of money, and they're going to have a really good Christmas, even if they can't buy anything because of the uh, supply shortages. But they're going to have a bunch of money in the bank to buy it when it finally That's does right. get there. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah that, I, don't, I don't even understand how that could be legal, because I've heard of situations like that where, okay, we're going to fine you um, – if your uh, if your husband doesn't get, you know, the vaccine, we're going to fine you. And um, I don't know how that's even possible. I don't know how that's legal. Well, what they're falling back on is they're saying, hey, you can go get health care somewhere else. You don't have to get it here. Yeah. So yeah. so I think they're getting away with it based on those grounds. What's really interesting to me in the story is they used as justification the fact that in their health plan, they've spent nine million dollars to provide healthcare to people with COVID. Right. And so they've got to get everybody vaccinated on their health plan, la da da da. Well yeah. if you look at their if you look at their financials, on average they were it's a non profit, so it's not necessarily technically profits, but basically their profits at the end of the last couple of years prior to COVID were around seventy right. million dollars. Their profits at the end of 
this past year with COVID were over $600 million. Jeez. And their claim is that their $9 million of COVID health care costs are the reason wow. for this mandate. <laughs> That's insane. That is insane. Paul Seeger, PCS Advisors, healthcare expert. Thanks so much for your time, man. We appreciate you weighing in on some of these things people are very concerned about. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. Coming up next, British dog owners could go to jail for feeding their dogs a vegan diet, and I'm kind of all for it. I'll explain. <laughs> 630K how Denver's talk station. Uh- All right, we have texts and stuff. 57739, 57739. If you want to text the show directly, please, please start it off with Leland, L E L A N D. So it goes in the right box. Um, and then end it with your name. Just give us a name, just a first name. I don't care, just a first name. So when we're talking to a real person, Bobby writes in, you'll love this, Ryan. Bobby writes in, hey, do you want to know the truth about how Duncan makes their donuts? My daughter works there. Hmm. Uh, yeah, we need that intel. Well, this all came from yesterday when we said that it was a Dunkin' Donuts. It was out of donuts. And I was like, wait a minute. Don't they make the donuts at 3 o'clock in the morning? Time to make the donuts. Um, let's see here. Uh, somebody wrote in about panhandlers because I gave that 10 bucks to the panhandlers. What would you have done, Ryan? Because well, I don't normally give money to panhandlers, but I felt almost obligated because I was like, this guy helped me. I'm going to help that guy. I don't know what he's going to do with the money. But- I like to give panhandlers food. Me too, but I didn't have the time to do that. take them to go get food. If you give them cash, unfortunately, a lot of times that enables some bad habits. They might have addictions. Oh, absolutely, 100%. So I remember seeing a, a panhandler one time. And, uh, and well, first, I went into the grocery store to, or convenience store to pay for my gas. And this guy came in, and he bought, like, a bottle of tequila, right? Kind of a vagrant-looking guy and bought him a bottle, bottle of tequila. And then I went back out, and uh, there he went right back out to the street corner with his sign. And I was like, oh, so that's what he does with the money that was given to him. And I judged him, man. I judged him hard. And I felt very proud of myself. I was like, that guy is in a cycle of blah, blah, blah. So I drive off, and this little still small voice, call it God if you want, said, hey, man, why'd you judge that guy? And I was like, oh, come on, really? And it was like, hey, there's a McDonald's up here. Why don't you stop in there and get that guy lunch? There you go. And I was like, no, no, I have things to do. <laughs> I argued with this voice for a while. Now everybody's like, this guy's crazy. He has voices mm, in his head. A little bit. So I pull in the McDonald's. I get a double cheeseburger meal. And I'm like, he's not even going to be there, little voice in my head. He's not going to be gone. He's going to be gone by the time I get back there. So I pull back in. And nope, he's still there, drinking his tequila, asking for money. So I pull in and I park. And I bring him this double cheeseburger meal. And I just sat down on the grass next to him. And I said, dude. What's your story, man? And we talked for about 45 minutes. Wow. And he told me, like, all these things that had happened to him in his life and he, while he was munching on the burger. And he was very hungry, and he a- enjoyed the burger. I don't know that he would have bought the burger if I had given him the cash. Probably not. <clears throat> but he needed it, and I needed it. Because, one, I needed to learn not to judge the guy. And, number two, I needed to remember that he was a human being who had a number of different things that led bad decisions he had made, all of them. He was totally responsible for his own situation. But in order to get out of that situation, he needed somebody to care. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it helped him or anything. I mean, we just talked. I mean, he was sleeping on a friend's couch. He had no money. He's wandering around. I have no idea if it helped the dude. Didn't hurt. Couldn't well, have hurt. Well, you know what it did? When I drove away from that, instead of feeling proud of myself, which I shouldn't have. And, well, like, I mean, I shouldn't have felt proud of myself. I didn't. I actually felt horrible because I realized how harshly I judged the guy. And then I realized that the whole reason that still small voice talked to me was not about that dude. It was about me and the condition of my heart. And I needed to be humbled. And I needed to sit down and realize that this person was a human being. Ever since then, I've really looked at that differently. But 
I still rarely give money. But in this case, I had nothing. I, I had no time, you know, and I, I literally couldn't have gone and gotten food and I probably should have, but I didn't. But the point is, and the whole point of that story was that it, it two people stopping to help me reminded me that there's actual real live people in the world that don't hate each other. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm blocking traffic at a busy intersection and. You know, the way people typically react to that type of situation is to beep and yell and curse and say well, bad things. they're being inconvenienced, yeah. They're being inconvenienced by me being stupid and <laughs> running my gas, you know, my gas out, you know. Yep. Uh, it's not the dumbest thing I've ever done. I once drove off with the gas um, handle in the car. Oh, my. And uh, I got about a half mile before I saw sparks flying behind me from the metal part <laughs> of the end of the thing. You know, what's funny about that was um, I drove back to the uh, gas station and I... I I walked in and I said, ma'am, I think I broke your pump. And she's like, oh, did you drive off with it? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, it happens all the time. It's got a little release valve. Just put it back over there. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then I slinked out of the, the convenience store because everybody was shame. laughing at me. Yeah. I just, uh, I thought I was a big badass driving away without even. It's just so funny. Uh, so anyway, somebody wrote in about panhandlers. I said, I don't typically give panhandlers money but on occasion i have felt god leading to do so i figure it's between me and god what i do it's between the recipient and god what they do that's a great point mm -hmm. if for some reason the big man upstairs decides that somebody needs something and is going to direct their actions to go somewhere else and do something else with it our job is just to be the vessel 100 percent uh so there you go and i'm just deeply curious about how they make the donuts at dunkin donuts <laughs> i'm sorry but that's that's gonna stick with me hey shoot me an email on facebook See or, or uh, on the Twitter at Leland Show. You can do that, either one of those. All right. Where was I? Oh, yes. Okay, I don't like laws. What? Well, there's, actually, yeah, I don't like laws very much. I'm, a, I'm not a fan of laws. I think laws go way too far. Anarchist. <clears throat> Almost. Uh, freedom absolutist. How's that? Freedom absolutist. We'll take that. Um, Great Britain does not take kindly to dog owners that want to feed their pets a vegan diet. Now, that, I've seen this on the Internet a lot more lately, and that's these vegans going, look at my cat, my cat's a vegan, my cat's a vegan, it's so healthy, and I'm like, you freaking don't know what a cat is, it's basically a tiny mountain lion, it's supposed to eat nothing but meat. There you go. Same for dogs, they're basically evolved wolves, right? Genetically mutated wolves, that's what my two dogs are, they're both genetically mutated wolves, they're supposed to eat meat. So apparently in England, there's an old law from 2006, the Animal Welfare Act, that says, hey, if you don't feed your pets a suitable diet, which excludes vegetarian because that's not what dogs and cats are supposed to eat, your possible penalties for violating the law could include a $27,000 fine plus jail time and being banned from ever owning a pet again. That's a little harsh. <laughs> I'm just going to say that's a little harsh. A little. Just a little harsh. But I do appreciate the sentiment. So if you're a vegan, God bless you. But if you think your cat's a vegan, you're an idiot. All right, so much we didn't get to today that we'll get to tomorrow. Apologize. We'll have to talk about Halloween being canceled tomorrow. It'll still be here to cancel tomorrow, so everything will be fine. Dan Kaplan is coming up next. I'm Leland Conway. He's Ryan Schuling. He's Shannon pushing the buttons. 630K How Denver's talk station. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. Visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today.